welcome to episode number nine of Dogs in Our World. I'm Adam Winston. Today we're going to learn about dogs and therapy. First, we'll meet our featured guest who will share some personal experiences and definitions to help us better understand what these dogs in our world do. In part two, we'll get our history fix and find out what many people look for in a therapy dog. Finally, we'll finish with a couple questions from one of you and get some parting advice from our guest. I've been looking forward to getting this episode into your ears. So please help more people find this program by leaving a review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or just tell two people about the show. Okay, here we go. You are listening to Dogs in Our World, a show that explores the history, science, and importance of the domestic dog. Here's your host, Adam Winston. I have met so many cool people throughout this series and this project, and today's guest is no different. Are the levels okay? She is a clinical social worker, counselor, author, teacher, uh, amazing human, and she also has years of experience integrating dogs into her practice. Hi, I'm Ann Howie. I live currently in the Olympia, Washington area. My passion is dogs and their people. I want to enhance their relationships between the two of them. And began our conversation by telling me about her early life in the country on her family's farm. See, she was an only child, and there were no neighbor kids to keep her entertained. So young Anne Howie's playmates on the farm, of course, were often of the four-legged variety. Actually, there were some chickens, so they had two legs, but I played with the animals. And from a very young age, Anne began to understand that we could have relationships with animals in a way that is very similar to our relationships with people. I understood that they had opinions and that they could express their opinions. We just don't usually know even to listen for them or pay attention to those opinions. So when I was finishing up my master's degree and feeling like, boy, there was nothing in the world that was going to encourage me to go back to school, I read about what was called then pet therapy. And my first thought was that I would go back to school for. So Anne went back to school and soon after she got a job working in a psychiatric hospital. There she began to see firsthand how her dog could help hard-to-reach patients. This was many, many years ago. The client was about 24, female. She was suffering from postpartum depression, and she had chosen not to speak. She had been suicidal, and her parents had committed her to this psychiatric hospital. I'm embarrassed to say that she had been in that hospital for six weeks, and we had not gotten her to speak. Now, keep in mind, Anne was hired to work at the hospital by herself, not not with her dog. But she was looking for the right moment and patient to practice what was then called pet therapy. I'd been talking to my supervisor about animal-assisted work, and she said, let's wait for the right time. Well, this staffing meeting, the docs said, I don't know what to do. I am willing to try anything. So my ears perked up. Really? Anything? (laughs) They said, yes. I said, okay, this is what I want to try. Now, the patient was still in a locked unit and choosing not to leave her room. So Anne talked with the young woman's parents, and they told her 
that the young woman was a dog lover. So for security reasons, Anne's little Sheltie dog wasn't allowed to enter the locked unit, so she devised a plan. If the patient was willing to come to her office, she could spend time with Anne's dog. And after a couple of days... She did, and when she first walked into the room, she knelt down and went to the dog and didn't say anything, but they were just interacting together. Huge success right there for her to leave the unit and to be interested in someone other than herself. Within a couple of days, she was whispering to my dog. She wouldn't whisper to me, wouldn't talk to me, but she started talking to the dog in a whisper. I wish I could take credit for what happened next, but it truly was the dog. My dog stopped listening to her if she was whispering. She had to start speaking louder in order for the dog to listen. So within six more weeks, this woman was able to be discharged. She worked with my dog, teaching my dog tricks, um, taking my dog out for walks. So she gradually was um, becoming more comfortable out in the world. She um, was learning about how to make decisions herself as we were figuring out how the dog was learning things. Um, It was one of those miraculous first sessions. Not everybody, or excuse me, first patients, not everybody has that kind of a big thing happening, but couldn't be a better example of the impact of a dog on a person. What a powerful story. And so that gives me a little bit more perspective on, I think, what it is you do. I mean, I want to, is that kind of a prime example of what a quote-unquote therapy dog is. Exactly. There is no legal definition of a therapy dog. So people who work in the field have a generally accepted definition, and that is a dog that's individually trained to go into a facility with the dog's handler to visit. Um, Maybe visiting to simply improve quality of life, and that's not an only, that's not a small thing, um, but there are no specific goals. It's a, a general improve quality of life, or that dog can go with the handler to participate in therapy. To when, when you say handler, do you mean the person who, who the dog belongs to, the owner? Or? Usually it is the owner. There are occasions when it would be someone else who has worked with the dog and knows the dog and they have a relationship, a working relationship, but usually it is the owner. Can you? Do you have any other personal stories you can tell me that really help me get a better picture of what these therapy dogs are and do? Yes, I'll give you an example. When I was working as a volunteer in a rehabilitation unit, and I brought my dog in to work with a physical therapist, and as we were walking into the unit, the physical therapist was wheeling a patient out back to her room. And the therapist's face was stormy. Something had gone wrong. I don't know what it was, but it was wrong. But that patient leaned forward and held out her hands and invited me to bring my dog to see her. I checked in, looked up at the therapist, and the therapist nodded eagerly. Yes, yes, please go ahead and see her. The therapist looked stunned. And we spent about 10 minutes in the hallway with that woman leaning forward, stroking the dog, petting the dog, talking to me, and then the therapist took her back to her room. I didn't know what had happened, but I had to go find that therapist afterwards to find out. And she said, we had just been in the gym, and this woman had had a stroke, and she felt very unstable. She didn't have a sense, a good sense of balance. And what the therapist had wanted her to do was to lean forward, and the woman was too afraid to do that. And she refused to participate in therapy. Yet, here we were walking down the hallway, and naturally, she leaned forward to pet the dog. 
So for 10 minutes, she was leaning forward, exercising those core muscles and retraining those neural pathways in her brain. That's why the therapist was so thrilled. She got to have her therapy session that day by working with my dog um, that she wasn't going to have without the dog. As I always say, this show is about getting answers from the source. And I know Adam P. Karp in episode four briefly talked about some of this, but I want to make sure we have our terminology right. I I often encounter confusion regarding some of this stuff, so I asked Anne to make sure that we understand where exactly therapy dogs fall in relation to all of these other animals who help people. Therapy dog is trained and goes in with either a therapist or a volunteer to participate in therapy or improve quality of life. Now, many people in the general public think of a therapy dog as someone who, a dog that lives with them and um, helps them feel better. That is not the generally accepted definition of a therapy dog. Now, there are dogs called emotional support animals, not just dogs. Uh, It truly can be just about any kind of animal. And that those animals are recognized by in housing, federal housing, and in aviation travel that uh, an airline may allow, may allow an emotional support animal on the plane with someone. And a landlord that doesn't ordinarily accept pets may allow an emotional support animal to be present in that person's housing. Um, That is different from a service animal. Service animals can only be dogs or miniature horses under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And there is a legal definition for service animal. And that is any animal, excuse me, a, a dog or a miniature horse that is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the benefit of a person with a disability. So a service animal does work just for that person with a disability, um, basically is on duty 24-7 for that person. A therapy animal, on the other hand, might be with me, uh, but is not necessarily working for me in helping me perform my tasks, but um, is in essence, working for my clients, um, the people that I am visiting if I'm a volunteer or the people who are coming into my office um, receiving therapy from me. And so let's talk about that. I'm sitting here in your office, which is a nice, comfortable, warm, inviting environment (laughs) with a comfortable couch and chairs. And I feel like I could talk about anything in here. And so then your human comes into this nice, lovely room and sits down to talk with you mm-hmm. about stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. And then you have a dog here. Yes. And how do you, how, where does the dog come into play in having a chat here in this room? And I'll first say that a dog isn't present for every client. Um, either the client isn't interested or might be afraid. Uh, or perhaps it's just a day off for the dog because a dog, a therapy dog is not going to work. My therapy dog is not going to work um, five days a week uh, or even two days in a row. My dogs, my therapy dogs get a chance to rest in between times. Is this but why I don't have a dog here right now to That's hang out why with? there's no dog here right now. <laughs> I caught the dog on, the, on his, his or her off yep, day? Yep, yep. Uh, Okay, so you're not some sort of uh, crazy dog lady who constantly has a dog around no matter who the client is. (laughs) The client does come first. 
first, and maybe not every client who comes to you uh, in need wants to necessarily have a dog with them. So then let's say you do have a human client who is open to the idea mm-hmm. of having your dog join in a session. Now what? What does the dog do? I'll give you an example from um, one of my clients. She just felt like she was, uh, she didn't even quite know how to explain what was going on, but she wasn't happy with her life and she wanted to be doing things differently. And I had a standard poodle in my office at that time and she was a dog lover. And I said, could we just try something? And she said, sure. So she was okay with the dog getting up on the couch with her. And I gave her a brush and explained how to use that particular brush. It's a little bit different working with poodle hair than with some dog brushes. And I simply asked her, take the brush and stroke brush from his head down to his hips or his tail. And just do that. Let me see you do that a few times. And she was able to do that three times. Seemed like a very simple thing to her. Um, But on the fourth time, the dog raised up his head and looked at her. And she jumped and she stopped and she said, why did he look at me? And I said, well, I don't know. Let's think about that. What was going on that was different? Why do you think that he stopped being so relaxed and looked at you? And as we began to talk about it more, she said, well, I lost my focus. I lost my concentration. It was just such a simple thing. I wasn't continuing to focus on it. And so then she said, well, let's try it again. And she really tried to maintain her focus instead of allowing her mind to go in a million different directions. Well, that meant a lot to her. And she came back in a couple of weeks saying that she hadn't been able to forget that experience, that she didn't want to hurt the dog. She knew she hadn't hurt him, but she knew that she had affected him in a way that kind of surprised him, at least made him raise his head. And so she was working at applying that information throughout every day in helping herself remain focused instead of being distracted. So there's one tiny example. Can I tell you how great it was to spend an hour of Anne's valuable time in her office? She was such a wealth of information. Coming up in part two, and Howie will give us our history fix. You know I got to. And she'll also explain what she looks for in a therapy dog. Adam will be right back with more Dogs in Our World. For more information about this show, visit the episodes page at dogsinourworld.com. And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Support Dogs in Our World by making a donation. This fun and informative show is free to the public, but it's not free to produce. Every dollar donated goes directly towards production expenses. Help Adam improve the lives of dogs and people through more episodes just like this one. Donate today at dogsinourworld.com. How long has this kind of work been going on? How long have have licensed professionals like yourself been using dogs to help clients? Well, we can go way back to the ninth century in Giel, Belgium. And they had people with disabilities working with farm animals as part of their treatment. Then in 1792, the York Retreat for Quakers in England 
included a variety of animals in the residential treatment. Um, how were they? Do you know how they were using animals back then? Or? I don't know for sure. But there's but reference my, to it, huh? There are references. And my understanding is that it was very similar to residential treatment programs today where animals and nature were integrated into their daily lives. Um, that was part of their routine, part of what they did, and probably they ate the animals too. I mean, they butchered the chickens and ate them or butchered the beef and ate them um, as part of their their life and, and the way that they were finding out how to live their lives to the best of their ability. In the United States, then, we can jump to about the 60s and 70s. Okay. And, I, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but it seems like this whole 1970s decade there's a lot going on. Almost every yes. one of my episodes, people talk about, well, in the 70s, we changed it, you know. Yep. There was something about the 70s. I agree. Um, and, well, actually, I guess I can go back a little bit further than that. Um, World War II, the Air Force Convalescence Center in Pauling, New York, had treatment for returning GIs um, that included working with animals. Um, Freud had a dog. Uh, a chow dog that he incorporated into his assessment sessions with clients. And he watched how the dog responded to his clients. Freud was a chow chow enthusiast <laughs> was, too? Yep. Oh, see, that was my first dog. Oh, yeah, okay. I love chow well, chows. So what are some other things in history that you could mention? Um, Boris Levinson was the first person who really started writing about it. Uh, that was Now we're in the 70s. And he was a child psychologist. And he really wrote even the first book, Child Oriented. Um, psycholo- no, that's not the right word. Correct. Ooh, you got notes. Pet-oriented child psychotherapy, um, and he that was published in 1969. Okay. So he was one of the first therapists, and he was scorned. Uh, people were making a great deal of fun of him for including a dog in his treatment sessions. His dog was named Jingles. That's great. You've given us enough to look up, and just so you know, what I do after our. our- my discussions with folks as I go back, I look at everything online and find articles and support um, references, and then I add it all to the show notes right there on my page. Great. So, any and we already about. have some research links posted for you. As always, you can find them by navigating to this episode at dogsinourworld.com. Again, looking back to Adam P. Carp's episode about dogs and law. Do you remember when he talked to me about the power of language? Anne was so kind and understanding, and she was so easy to talk to, even as she kept me in line. Uh, Here's what I'm talking about. And listen up, because this is a crucial soundbite she's about to drop on us. Are there any kind of new things that are, that are that's happening right now in the world of therapy dogs? Is there any new discoveries or new uses for dogs that people are doing now that they haven't in the past? Well, I'm so glad you brought that up. Terminology is really important to people who are working in this field. And it is very easy for us to say the word use. You know, what are we doing? How are we using dogs? Okay. And by the same token, without going overboard on political correctness, people who work in the field feel very strongly that we're respecting the animals and their opinions, um, taking good care of them and their welfare. So we're cautious about using the word use. Enlighten me. Yeah, please. This is what I want to (laughs) learn. We prefer to say like we are working with a dog or... Uh, Well, I think that's my preferred way of saying it, that I'm working with a dog or working with a horse or whatever kind of uh, other animal. Um, So one of the biggest changes in the field is that the 
therapists are becoming much more aware that they got their degree, they got their credential, and they knew about how to work with people. And they then just thought, oh, okay, I can incorporate a dog or a cat or whatever into what I'm doing without really knowing about that animal mm-hmm. or that species. Yes, okay. And so a big piece that I'm very, very excited to see is that more colleges and universities are providing either certificates or individual courses to help people know more about the species that they are working with. It's essential for animal welfare, animal well-being, that they be incorporated in a way that is respectful to them and not just used uh, as a tool. You're right. Language is powerful, and language is a very powerful thing, especially when we're talking about dogs. You're one of the many people who are part of this project who are helping me on my journey and helping me kind of keep me on the right path and steer me to the right paths as I kind of find my way in this dog and welfare industry. Mm -hmm. And you also, again, reminded me of something that Julie Forbes talked about, which is we've got to get away from this kind of older school philosophy where dogs or animals are there strictly for our use and purpose mm-hmm. and to be utilized. And sh- and you reminded me what she was trying to express to me, which is that you know we should look at our relationship with dogs as a partnership, as yes. not an up-down chain of command, but mm-hmm. as a circular in and out. Yes. So thank you again for kind of steering me on the right path. Well, and thank you for the work yeah. you're doing helping other people see that as well. And this is really what I want to do. I want the public to understand that the therapy, I don't know much about therapy dogs. I, that's why I'm talking to you. Like I'm not, I'm not doing episodes about things that I already know and then mm-hmm. I find someone to support it. This is my journey where each person I talk to, whether it's a fine art collector or a therapist, everyone is showing me how these animals are both ubiquitous and instrumental in almost every aspect of human life. Definitely. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the Teaming with Your Therapy Dog book was to emphasize, yeah, it is a relationship. It is a partnership. It's not just a one-way street. In my various jobs in dog training, shelter work, and helping people solve challenges, I often encounter folks who take home a new dog or get a puppy and tell me, Adam, this dog is going to be my service dog, or this four-month-old pup is going to be my therapy dog. And I always think to myself, you know, great, sounds like you got it all figured out. But, you know, what does the dog want? I mean, we, we at least know by now, well, if you've been listening to the series, we all know by now that every dog is different, right? I get a lot of that. I get a lot of calls every week about people who are wanting to turn their dog into a therapy dog. Dogs, therapy dogs are really born, not made. Um, they can be, their behavior can be refined, but a dog who is a natural therapy dog is one that actively seeks out the company of people. If given the choice, will the dog go running around sniffing? Uh, Or will the dog leave all those sniffs and go say hello to people and stay with people? Um, A natural-born therapy dog is one who is um, willing to not only let go of those other dog-type things, but wants to be, is very accepting of strangers who may move differently or speak differently or look differently or smell differently. Uh, But still, they're a person and the dog is interested in that person. 
Um, dogs who are natural therapy dogs are very tolerant, very accepting. That's a much better word. Tolerant implies um, there might be some pain or discomfort involved, and I much prefer to say they're very accepting of those differences. Um, can handle uh, different kinds of flooring. Um, slippery floors often are in places where therapy dogs go, um, not always the padded carpeting. Uh, so it's important for people to get in touch with who their dog really is and allow their dog to, have, to be who he is. Yes, we're, we can be disappointed. Uh, I have a dog right now that worked with me as a therapy dog for a little while, and then she decided she really wasn't interested. Well, she got to make that choice, so she doesn't come to work with me anymore. Um, so even though our hearts want one thing, if we really care about the dog, we allow the dog to make that choice instead and of I've us. And I've had some dog training clients, too, where I've actually, you gave me permission when I was going to school to use one of your handouts, uh, visual aids that you use for your your clients. And it's it's kind of the ass- self-assessment mm-hmm. test where you can get an idea of you mm-hmm. and your dog. And sometimes my clients, they're actually they're actually bummed. They're like, oh, my dog's never going to be a therapy dog. I want him to be a therapy. And it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe your dog may not be suitable right now to go into a hospital or Mm -hmm. a children's hospital or somewhere very sensitive. You know, there are sober houses. There Mm -hmm. are um, rehabilitation homes where I'm sure there are plenty of people that that would want the kind of dog that would want to run around the backyard and play fetch Mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are some places where adults are gathered where they don't mind a dog who might jump a little bit. If you really think that your dog wants to be around people and enjoys helping people, it doesn't have to be a children's hospital. Right, right. Right. That's such a good point. Finding the right fit, as long as that dog really wants to do it. I, I want to mention one YouTube video. Um, if you search on YouTube for Does Your Dog Really Want to Be Petted? It's a lovely video. I think it's only three and a half minutes long. We'll add it to the notes. Yeah, please uh, do. We'll add it to the notes and everybody will watch it. I'll watch it as soon as I get home. Okay, so how about some... So what do you all think so far? If you think that I'm the only one who would find any of this interesting, then you can go ahead and tell me over at dogsinourworld.com. Uh, we have just enough time for one final part. In just a moment, Anne Howie will answer a couple questions from one of our listeners, and she will also share with us some more advice and personal thoughts back after this. We'll be right back with more Dogs in Our World. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. You can also message us directly via the contact page at dogsinourworld.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Salutations, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the great podcast Adam has put together, Dogs in Our World. If you ever want to hear a great podcast about psychology, politics, and with a little bit of personality that is not from an establishment stooge, check out my podcast, only on iTunes, Psychological Warfare with A.J. Norton. Thank you. Yeah, I I feel it. If, If I can just have a moment, just... Having a dog cuddle up on the couch and petting and stroking and putting my focus into their well-being for a moment, mm-hmm. it really it really focus, mm-hmm. centers you, I find. Well, and that's a lot of what therapy is. Yes, focusing and increasing awareness of patterns of what's going on. 
um, internally, externally, so that we can take how someone interacts with a dog, for example, and maybe that dog moves away from someone and the person is surprised or startled or gets their feelings hurt. Well, then that can be turned into, has anybody else ever left you alone? Um, Have you ever had your feelings hurt by someone else? And what happened around that? And maybe there's something that the person can do differently. Maybe they are far too energetic and maybe they're moving their arms around and they can calm themselves to have the dog come up to them. Well, how does that apply in other areas of your life? Have there ever been times that you've had trouble on a job because your voice has been too loud or something along those lines? So taking those common interactions and then the therapist looks and works with the client on those specific things to see, well, you know, how does that fit in the rest of your life? Michelle, who is a client and listener of the show, uh, she is also uh, is a psychologist, and she want and she has a wonderful new dog. And she wanted to ask you: Do clinicians need a special type of insurance to work with a therapy dog? Part of a clinician's professional liability insurance needs to include the fact that that professional is working with a dog. It. Professional liability insurance will not cover if a dog bites or scratches someone. It is simply saying that in my profession, it's an accepted thing for me and others of my profession to do to work with a dog um, so that I cannot be sued for malpractice. Well, not that I can't be sued, but that I would be covered if I was sued for malpractice um, if someone thought that I didn't know what I was doing with the dog. So that's one part of insurance. Then there is the general liability insurance that most of us think of as slip and fall. And that would be where if the dog injures someone that that would be covered. Um, So a general liability insurance carrier would need to know that that professional was working with a dog in their practice. Becomes tricky because some insurance companies will not cover the professional if they have a dog who is registered as a therapy dog. We don't have the loss history yet to know how many therapy dogs injure people. So those insurance companies are likely to cover the professional if they have a plain old pet dog. And I am not meaning that pet dogs are any less, but just in terms of the uh, insurance company's view, uh, that a pet dog, we've got some loss history. We know something about those kinds of breeds and that type of thing and how likely someone is to get injured. So those two types of insurance are the primary pieces. And then finally, Michelle wanted to know if there's any specific training that, for example, she would need in order to work with a therapy dog. Absolutely. Um, Similar to what I was saying earlier, it's one thing to know how to work with the humans. It's something else entirely to know how to incorporate that dog into the treatment effectively for the client, but also effectively for the animal and paying attention to those animals' needs. If you're interested in learning more about therapy dogs, or if you're interested in working with dogs, I recommend starting with Anne's books. The first one is Starting a Visiting Animal Program, pretty self-explanatory. Second one is The Handler Factor, which is all about how to evaluate the handler of a handler animal team. Most of the time people think about evaluating animals and not about the handler too, but the handler is pretty important. And the third book, the most recent book, is called Teaming with Your Therapy Dog. And uh, it is the 
It's not just about therapy dogs. The examples that are given are about regular household pets as well as therapy dogs. So don't let the title fool you, but it definitely works for therapy dogs too. I could sit here and talk to you all afternoon. I really was hungry to try to get some of the stuff sorted out in my head and figure out what's what and what these folks do and what you do. Please, before we we end, is there anything else that you want to share with the public? What do you want people to know about all of this stuff you've spent so much time learning about and doing? It comes back to respecting the animals and listening to their point of view. Um, they, they do have something to say. And so often we ignore them. Uh, if we want to the field to advance, if we want to advance as a species, we need to listen to the animals. Tell me and everybody who's listening, give me something practical that we can do this month. What can we do? Okay. We can watch our animals' behavior. We can look at that video. Does your animal really want it to be, or maybe it's, does your dog really want to be petted? And learn about those behaviors so that we know what the dog is saying through their behavior. And Howie, it has been a pleasure talking to you. And I want everyone to go and find your books one more time. They can find them at Amazon or... Dogwise.com. All right. And do you think I can ever call you or shoot you an email if I have Please any more do. questions? Please do. We've it's got been so delightful. much more we want to talk about. I think there's that to learn more about Anne Howey, her work, and to buy her books, visit her website, humananimalsolutions.com. That's humananimalsolutions.com. To potentially find a therapist in your area who incorporates dogs into their treatment plans, Anne Howey recommends visiting psychologytoday.com. Most of the therapists who work with an animal include that in their description. Don't forget to check out the pictures from my trip and our social media pages by visiting dogsinourworld.com. And as always, I still need your help with the iTunes reviews. We, we just don't have enough yet to boost the show up in the search rankings. If you don't use iTunes or Apple Podcasts, then can you still spread the word by telling at least two friends how to find the show? All right. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you soon. Real quick, I want to give a shout out to Samantha, who I think is from the beautiful Wilmington, North Carolina. She wrote to me using the contact page at dogsinourworld.com, and I won't read the whole email, but she ended it by saying this, thank you for giving me something so informative and helpful to listen to. I have been amazed at how many times it has basically confirmed instincts I have about dogs with added research and articles to back it up. Samantha, thank you for listening, and thank you to all of you for listening too. This brings me to my next point. I'm beginning to see how this show has the potential to help both people and the dogs in our world. As long as these episodes are available, it costs me money. Please make more episodes like this one possible by making a donation at dogsinourworld.com. If you're interested in sponsoring this program in any way, I'm all ears. Every dollar goes towards production expenses. Please make a donation today or think about how I can help you or your project. And finally, don't forget, we need iTunes reviews and those don't cost anything to do. All right, thanks again. 
and I'll talk to you soon.